It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Coming back on Accelerate today as a previous guest, his name is Jeff Beals. Jeff is a sales speaker and author, and uh, Moonlights, actually, I know it's the other way around, but I'm going to say Moonlights is a vice president for a major real estate company. I think actually it's your main job, maybe Moonlight is a sales speaker, but Jeff, welcome back to Accelerate. Thanks, Andy. It's an honor to be back. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. So, May for people who didn't hear episode 56, which they should go back and listen to. We had a great conversation about your book, about what you can learn about sales from big-time college football coaches, which I, as you knew at the time, that was one of my passions, um, <laughs> is take a minute introduce yourself again. Yeah. Well, I, as you said, am a sales um, author, speaker, and strategist, and uh, I do training and keynote speeches all over the world, I've written a couple books. And, uh, and then, like you said, my, my other life, I basically have two full-time jobs, drives my wife nuts, but uh, the other one is uh, in charge of sales and marketing for a, a commercial real estate firm that operates in a couple Midwestern states. So, Andy, I've got a little bit of career ADD. I got to do a lot of things to keep myself sharp. I guess. You're just not satisfied. <laughs> yeah. Or I get bored too easily. Yeah, or you get bored too easily. So, you have kids? I do. I have two, a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old, and, uh, and they're both going to grow up to be little salespersons. They, they, uh, they're with me all the time. I, I host a business radio show every Saturday, and they come to the studio with me, and it's fun to hear some of the uh, uh, business jargon that they use. <laughs> I'm spending too much time with Dad. <laughs> okay, so that, you started hinting at a third job as a radio host. I see. Yeah, yeah. gosh, you just don't, you're not busy enough. Yeah, think, it all goes together, though. Yeah, you're you're trying to catch up with your your neighbor there, Warren Buffett. Yeah, I do. I do live in the same town as uh, Warren Buffett. Uh, we don't hang out a lot, but I did meet him one time in 2001 when he ran into the back of my car. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's a true story. <laughs> true story. So you had a fender bender with Warren. I had a fender bender with Warren Buffett, and uh, uh, unfortunately, there was no damage, so I, I couldn't. Uh, uh, Sharon and his, uh, his wealth uh, through his insurance account, but uh, he was a very nice guy during the whole part. Very nervous, too, by the way. Well, yeah, I would imagine when you have that much money, anything happens. I'm sure he's thinking, okay, this guy's going to sue me. He's probably, probably dialing his lawyer already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was driving his own car, no bodyguard or anything. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's, I think, why he lives in Omaha. So um, he can have a life, right? If he wouldn't have been some big celebrity you know, saturated area like LA or New York. That's probably true. It's pretty down to earth place here. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're talking now, it's the early part of 2017. Um, yeah, we've sort of done the kickoffs already, but I, I, you know, like asking my guests, you know, what in your mind, what, what is the single biggest challenge facing sales reps in 2017? Well, I think there are a lot of them, but if you ask for the single biggest one, mm -hmm. it, it's it's probably cutting through the clutter because there is so much noise in the marketplace. It doesn't matter what your industry is, Andy. There's just so much noise and people's attention, um, their, their attention spans are being stretched so far and so wide that I really think that's the hardest thing is cutting through the clutter. Once you actually have a group of prospects that you're working with, you can use your good skills and, and, and let your products and services stand on their own merit. 
but it's getting harder and harder to uh, to reach people where they live and work in the first place. So, okay, what do they do about it? <laughs> okay, now well, that's the problem. What's what's the solution? Yeah, I think I think it, in some ways it kind of depends on on your selling style and what you sell. But I've always been a big believer in what I like to call grassroots selling methods in which you, uh, you, you, you find people, uh, where, where they live and work and, uh, and you make a connection with them. And, um, I think any, any industry that lends itself to that has an advantage in a world where it's hard to cut through. And in other words, let me translate that. Um, if, if your, uh, if your industry depends, uh, almost exclusively on, on marketing efforts, it's tough in this day and age. Because there are a lot of benefits if you can go reach people one-on-one, face-to-face, or at least over the telephone. Well, but, yeah, I think there's there's a gradation. You know, we're sort of talking about, you know, you said, yeah, companies are sort of largely dependent on marketing to generate interest and awareness and leads. On the other hand, you were initially sort of talking about, you know, the grassroots selling. At least I envision as, you know, sort of a more classic field sales type role. Um, in the middle, then, we've got this emerging you know, inside sales model where, you know, it's not face-to-face, at least oftentimes not in person, or very limited in-person face-to-face uh, connection. So, so in that environment, I think that's really the, the hard part for something. You know, if your only contact is through email or through phone, how do you cut through the clutter? Well, and, and that, is, that is hard. And I think, I think there are a couple things you can do in that, that type of uh, marketing-based environment. Number one is you've got to be exceptionally interesting there's got to be something compelling about your messaging, which uh, allows it to be uh, um, not only noticed, but certainly given any extra attention in a, in a crazy hyperactive world. And I think the other thing is you, you always have to remember to be other focused. Uh, in other words, um, people care about what they care about and pretty much nothing else. And, and I think those marketing type salespeople that remember that, uh, are more likely to have that email uh, opened or that uh, direct mail piece read than someone who doesn't really obsess about what the reader, listener, viewer cares about. So, really, research being the key, I guess. And you're saying if we're going to find out what write about something somebody cares about, we really need to understand who they are and what they do care about. So that uh, takes some work. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's one of the conundrums we face is, is that you know we. The power of some of the tools we have is to enable sort of this, I call it mass personalization, if you will. But on the other hand, the goals that are put out there and the processes in place don't always seem to allow a lot of time for it. No, because the demands on the people who are doing the selling don't seem to be uh, decelerating at all. And, and the other thing that makes it tough is that any sort of technology that you and your company can use to as you say, personalized mass mass marketing, your competitors are probably using it too. And so, uh, so, so it is awfully difficult. But I think that's why you really have to, whether, whether you're doing the grassroots type of selling, which I've always greatly preferred, or whether you're in a um, heavy marketing environment, that, that, that other focus, that uh, being obsessed with what the, uh, the would-be client cares about is, is paramount. Okay. So part of that grassroots marketing is networking. I know this is a, a topic that's you know near and dear to your heart. You had published a book about it called Goals-Based Networking. So what was the impetus to write this book? Well, I've always I've always sold that way. I mean, I, I started selling things in one way or another 30 years ago. And so I, I've always believed in selling that way. And certainly in, in my practice, 
I do a great deal of, of inbound marketing work and content marketing work and, and, and know that it's important. But ultimately, most of my business comes from getting on the telephone and talking to people or showing up at events and, and building relationships. And, 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 and that also helps me even with people who are geographically far flung from me. You know, I, I go and um, travel all over the country like I, I assume you do, too. Andy, and um, mm-hmm. I, I can meet with people uh, before or after a presentation uh, at a conference or some sort of meeting and, and develop business from uh, uh, those conversations. And I think that that ability to be out there in a networking environment and know how to behave in it and, uh, and, and know what to do, when to do, what not to do, that can really help you do business in some ways, maybe even more so. In, in 2017, because um, people crave that personal touch, at least a personal touch that's relevant and interesting. Well, I think that that's right. I mean, somebody had asked me to make a prediction of what I thought was a trend in 2017, and I, my feeling was that we're going to start seeing the return of the human element in sales. You know, that that it's not that you know we've gone you know extreme to one way and now going to the other extreme, but. But we certainly have gone through a period the last couple of years where all the talk has been about technology and process, mm-hmm. and not very much about okay. At the end of the day, you have this issue. I, I call it the last mile sales. That just like in the old telecom days, where you know it's easy to get the big data pipes to the central office, but how do you get the connection to the home? Right, is that last mile? It's the same thing as true in selling, and that's really where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, you, can, oh, yeah. you have all your automation to generate your leads and get people into your funnel, your content marketing, so on and so forth, but. At some point, somebody's got to talk to another person. Well, yeah, and and, and the more complicated uh, and uh, big ticket the sale is, the more important that human touch in the last mile probably is. You know, if I'm buying something that's pretty uh, low cost, low risk, fairly commoditized, some ways I prefer to work with a machine. And um, but if I'm dealing with something that requires you know budget consideration on my part or a lifestyle change, I, I definitely want that consultative human approach. Mm-hmm. So, back to networking, because it's certainly one way then to start injecting the human element to, into it, is, is you get the sense that, again, sort of seeing the, the change in business models that, that, or sales models, excuse me, that it's almost like, well, okay, well, who still networks? You know, it's <laughs> almost like it's a foreign concept to some number of people that are in sales, is that, uh, especially perhaps, again, with the sub move to inside sales, so on, is, but it's still... Really important. I, mean, I don't think it's an accident that, uh, like Susan Roan's book, if you read her book, How to Work a Room, mm-hmm. about networking, you know, it's one of the, it's a huge seller. I mean, we're talking over a million copies sold. Yeah. yeah. People want this knowledge about how do I, how do I just make a fundamental connection with another human in an environment that's sort of work related, but not entirely. Well, I think the reason why her, her book has done so well is because so many people, uh, now, as they always have, know innately that networking can make them a lot of money or help them reach their goals or make their their uh, their work responsibilities easier. They know that, but frankly, they're lousy at it because uh, you know some people they're either too gregarious and and they think they they know everything and they talk too much or or what's more common is they're too socially timid or hesitant. And so they avoid going to certain things because they don't know the right person or, or they have um, uh, unrealistic expectations about what they should get out of a networking event. And so that's why I think it's, it's really important to 
to, to have a plan, to have a strategy, to have some skills with networking. And again, that's probably why the book you referenced has sold so well. People people aren't easy with it. They aren't comfortable with it. But when they learn uh, how to do it, uh, they get a great deal of benefit. Yeah. And so you look at, gosh, you know, anybody in professional services, field sales, solopreneur, solopreneurs, excuse me. I mean, certainly a field year. One of your many responsibilities, real estate. You know, it's, that's fundamentally a local, a local business in many, many categories. Not, I know, not exclusively, but well, that's another one. I mean, it still is very relevant. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, in, in my life, I, 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 I'm involved in the sale of real estate, which is a local regional play. But the other part of my life, selling sales training and keynote speeches and books and all that, is very much an international play. And and interestingly enough, um, I. Uh, derive almost as much benefit uh, from networking-like activities um, on the uh, consulting and sales uh, training side as I do on my uh, real estate career. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that um, if, if the thing you sell is, is more national or global, uh, your networking is going to be a little different. Uh, it's going to be geographically dispersed. A lot of it's going to be virtual online, but the same principles certainly do apply. So, in your case, you as you said, you've on multiple occasions you get hired by clients overseas to go speak. Um, how are you networking with them? Well, in-person networking with someone who lives in a different country is is probably not going to happen all that much. Although, once you get there, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, once once you get there, you, you don't just speak or you don't just do a sales training. There's going to be a reception uh, or a dinner the night before. There's going to be a luncheon the day of. Uh, there might be uh, cocktails following the sales presentation. And and I always feel that during those times, I'm I'm trolling for additional business because I want to go back to that country and, and speak to a, a, a different audience, mm-hmm. perhaps. And then also, I think you take the same principles of face-to-face networking, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a few minutes. You can apply those same principles to virtual or electronic networking. It's just because the medium changes doesn't mean that uh, the messaging and the technique changes. No, it's interesting. So um, you have three goals of networking, then we'll get into the specifics of techniques, as you just referred to. Mm-hmm. And... Like a lot of things in sales, I think one of the things that doesn't happen with networking is that people don't approach it with a plan. Right. Is yeah. It's not just, hey, uh, roll your eyes. I've got to go to this networking thing tonight because my boss wants me to go roll your eyes again. But instead, it's like, hey, this is an opportunity. Absolutely. I mean, I may feel a little uncomfortable because maybe I'm a little bit of an introvert. But, hey, this is an opportunity where I can actually engage someone face-to-face as opposed to through an email or a phone call. Well, I couldn't agree more because... You know, if you think about it, we we sales consultants we will uh, recommend to a to a sales rep never go into a meeting or a phone call without clearly stating in your mind what your desired outcome of said meeting or phone call is, and and I think the I don't think I know the same thing applies to networking events. Andy, one of the reasons why most professionals are somewhere between poor and lousy at networking is the very lack of the plan we're talking about. Mm-hmm. That's, that's why I named this ebook we're talking about, Goal-Based Networking. I believe before you go to any event or place in which networking will take place, however you define networking, you put a three-tiered goal in your head. You say to yourself, goal number one, I'm going to get a direct opportunity out of this event. Now, sadly, meaning you know, a prospect. Yeah, yeah, I mean a prospect, a customer. Right. Sadly, that doesn't happen uh, most of the time. 
But then you want to say to yourself, I at least want to get a very good lead on a direct opportunity, which pretty much should happen most every time, almost every time. If it doesn't, it means you're not talking to enough people or, or saying the right things, asking the right questions. And then finally, goal number three, you say to yourself, and I want to get valuable information um, that furthers my goal and meet valuable people who can help me reach my goals. And that should happen multiple times at every single networking event. And if, again, if it doesn't happen, it means you're either not talking to enough people or not asking the right questions or even, I suppose, possibly having the bad attitude, like you said, rolling your eyes and saying, my boss is making me go to this damned networking event. Yeah. Or, or again, perhaps just a little uncomfortable in that environment, and you know you don't ask the additional question, you don't probe, you don't, uh, you're not, you know, other centric. In the case of what you really need to be, be interested in the other person to get them to open up to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, and I see all the time in networking events, you know, somebody might be a little uncomfortable. They find the one person that will talk to them comfortably, and maybe even listen to them a little bit, and then they stick to that person throughout the evening as opposed to saying, okay, no, I've got an obligation to talk to as many people as I can here and have conversations. Yeah. And that one person you talk to very, very likely is not a buyer. And, uh, and I think that's, that's one thing we have to keep in mind. Yeah. When you go to an airplane event, sure. You don't know who could help you. You don't know who knows whom and and could give you a great advice. So you don't want to ever, you know, ignore any person and, and leave anyone out, but, but you have to be logical and commonsensical about it. And that is, Hey, figure out who among these people here have the highest likelihood of helping me close a deal now. <laughs> and that's where you want to spend the preponderance of your time. Yeah. And I think for salespeople to think about it is and if in a buying sense, right? If you if you look at a specific type of buyer and set aside the networking event for a second, and in the challenger customer, they did a good job describing this. The individual, I forget the name they gave to it, the type of individual, the one that really will talk to you, the one that will give you a lot of time, and the one that seems sort of friendly and open, you know, that's not that's not the one that's going to do the job for you. That's not the one that's <laughs> going to be the one that's making the decision. And this is the one that, you know, it's just happy to have somebody come talk to them, and, and you sort of gravitate to them because they will talk to you, and, and it's not leading to where you need to go. So if you're at a networking event and yet you latch onto one of these people or they latch onto you, Part of the skill of networking is how to excuse yourself from that situation and go on to someone else. Yeah, you, you absolutely do have to shake people every now and then because, and this is especially true if you sell uh, high dollar items like, like frankly, you you and I do, high dollar intangible things like you and I do. A lot of people uh, at a networking event want to live out a personal fantasy with someone who sells something. Yeah, you know they know they know they'll never be a buyer, but sometimes it's kind of fun to engage a salesperson who sells something that's maybe seen as prestigious, glamorous, or whatever, and uh, and it maybe makes a person feel a little big time or whatever. You have to be able to kind of tactfully, politely, professionally sniff that out and 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 move on. And uh, you know there are a lot of little things you can do um, very tactically. If I'm at a traditional networking event where they have drinks and cocktail and hors d'oeuvres and that sort of thing, um, if, if all else fails, if, if my little verbal attempts to um, leave a conversation don't work, I, I use the bar, I use the, the, the hors d'oeuvre serving table, I'll even use what I call the smart bomb, which is the, the restroom run. Um, but, but you can always think of one way to get away from that person who's just a people and time user. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, 
Interesting. The, uh, the bathroom excuse. Yeah, that's a good one. So, uh, so we've, all right, you got the three goals, getting a direct opportunity, getting a lead on a prospect and meeting new people, learning new stuff. So once you're at the event, then you have some specific tactics you talked about. And one of what I, I liked was what you call your rule of thirds. Why don't you tell people about that? Yeah, the rule of the thirds basically says you spend two thirds of the time with any one person talking about them, their interests, uh, you know, thoughtful, creative, probing questions about them, and one third about yourself. And you know, this makes total sense. We, we, we've heard it many times before. You've, you've got uh, two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionally. But but the reason it works is that people tend to be obsessed with themselves. Even the most uh, generous and uh, thoughtful person really is obsessed with himself or herself. I mean, I'm not afraid to admit, Andy, that I am <laughs> that you're an, ego, you're an egomaniac. <laughs> I, I'm fascinated with myself. <laughs> and, and if you show sincere, genuine interest in, in my favorite subject, I simply am powerless not to like you. And, uh, Was that and Nebraska football? Well, I, I certainly, I, that's, that's my alma mater, so I wouldn't mind talking about that either. Okay. <laughs> Although not after, uh, not, not, after, after not after my Badgers beat them last weekend, right? Okay, go ahead. Oh, thanks for reminding me of that. Okay, all right. <laughs> but I think, you know, I, I, I think that, that focusing on them is, is critically important. But you, at the same time, you, while you want to focus on the other people, a networking mistake that a lot of salespeople and other professionals make is that they end up focusing too much on the other person. For instance, they say to themselves subconsciously, if two-thirds of the time is really effective, what would happen if I listened to the other person three-thirds of the time? And they'll certainly love you. They'll think you're a sparkling conversationalist because all you did was let them talk about themselves. But if you don't reserve your third, your name and face don't pop into their head the next time they hear of an opportunity for which you would be perfect. you got to reserve your third. Okay. Well, I mean, I like that. I mean, it's it's it's... I mean, I have a a rule I talk about called the ask, don't tell, which mm-hmm. is, you know, when you're in conversation, you have the temptation to say something about yourself, ask a question instead. But what's going to happen invariably is, is, you know, they will turn around and ask a question of you. Yeah. And yeah, answering with a question at that point is not good form. You need to be prepared to to talk about what your, you, know, you call it the, you know, your area of, of self-expertise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, my, it's actually I call it the area of self-marketing expertise. Oh, self-marketing expertise. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah, extra word in there, but but basically that is something about you that is fascinating to someone who does not do what you do, and so when you do reserve your third, um, you want to be very choosy and selective uh, about what you say, and that's where the area of self-marketing expertise comes in. And and sometimes when I say that to audiences, they're like, hmm, something about you that's fascinating is someone who doesn't do what you do. That sounds like a little bit of a tongue twister. But but you want to find the, the sexiest, most prestigious, glamorous part of what you do. To kind of give you an idea, um, we mentioned my, my day job, so to speak, is in commercial real estate. And when I started doing that 16, 17 years ago, I remember once being at a party after I had just been on the job a couple of weeks and everyone asked, was asking me about new buildings being built or when is this retailer going to come to, down, to town or um, why are they building so many expensive condos downtown? And all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks that people were very interested, fascinated, obsessed with what I did for a living, commercial real estate, but they didn't give a damn about how to negotiate a triple net lease or to figure the load factor of an office building. Mm-hmm. It was good to know about the, the sexiest, most glamorous parts of what I did. 
Now, no matter what you sell, even if you sell something that, frankly, you think is kind of dull and boring, there's something about it that is interesting to someone who doesn't do it. And by God, that's what you want to focus on. That's what you want to touch on. Leave the behind the scenes inside baseball stuff with your colleagues and only focus on on what's glamorous, because if you do that, then you are pleasantly memorable. Yeah, I like that. I mean, what what so when you what's glamorous about what you do besides the building and the sales consulting and speaking world? Well, I, and I kind of have an unfair advantage, actually, because uh, the, the two jobs I have tend to be a little more glamorous than others. You know, for instance, like I said, when, when, when people saw me at that party, they want to know about new retailers and cool buildings and all that sort of thing. And so people, people like that. And then as, as a speaker and trainer, you know, you meet fascinating people. You go to Class A venues and, uh, and travel all over the place. So there's, there's certainly some glamour there. But, but I think ultimately um, – when, when the listeners are thinking about their own businesses and you want to know what's interesting, okay, think back to all the times you have been in public or been at a social event and think about what people ask you about what you do. And if you're having a hard time coming up with something that would be your area of self-marketing expertise, you know, think about is there anything about your profession that intimidates people, that they think is funny, uh, that angers them, um, frustrates them? Is there anything about, um, are there any perceptions about your industry that would maybe make someone want to do it? You know, grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Is there any reason why someone would want to reach their fence and nibble on your grass, so to speak? And, and I think those are the things that lead you to an area of self-marketing expertise. And then I guess finally would be, is there anything about what you do that changes people? Because that whole dynamic of people going through change or you know, becoming someone different or overcoming adversity, if there's anything about your product or service that causes that, that might take you down the path to a very good area of self-marketing expertise. Yeah, I mean, that everybody, you become the hero of the story and everybody, people remember the heroes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and kind of give you an idea. Um, like I say, in, in, in Omaha, I work in commercial real estate and, and in this town, People primarily know me through that role, and and I will go to a social setting, and and someone will say, oh, well, just last night I was at a social event, and someone came up to me and said, tell me about this big development that's happening just west of the med center. I heard there's going to be like hotels and all this sort of stuff there, and a bunch of retail and everything else, and 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 what they had heard was absolutely correct. My particular commercial real estate firm has absolutely nothing to do with that project. Yet, because I'm in the field, they expected me to know about it. I did. And so we talked about it a little bit. And that person probably think, uh, left that conversation thinking, at least subconsciously, Jeff Beals, fascinating guy, commercial real estate. If I ever know anyone that wants to invest in property or lease space, I'm going to send them his way. I'm calling Jeff. Yeah. So one, yeah. one of the, one of the uh, strategies you have then for working in networking about too is what you call a positive vision. So what did you mean by that? Well, a lot of people are, are somewhat intimidated by networking. You know, um, one of the things I always recommend is that you should always, as much as possible, go to networking events stone cold by yourself. Don't bring a spouse, significant other, colleague, friend, anyone, because it's almost inevitable, unless the person you are with is an extremely skilled networker, that you will gravitate to them. You know, you'll go, you'll have the hors d'oeuvres. I love the bacon wrapped scallops if they ever still serve them. And uh, you sit around and talk about shop or, or life. 
And so, so I always say go by yourself, but that scares the hell out of a lot of people because there's something intimidating. Uh, you know, it reminds them of the seventh grade dance or something like that, um, where you go in and you don't know anyone and you have to go up to strangers. And, and so I think, so, so people get intimidated. I, and I say one of the ways that you can kind of transcend that is to visualize success. So, you know, if you were ever an athlete, your coach may have had you visualize success before a game or a match. It may sound cheesy, but I literally think you do that before a networking event. If mm-hmm. you need to. Yeah. And I, I sort of carrying on a little bit with that point too, is, is, you know, act apart, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's a perfect opportunity. There's uh, Jill Conrath and her new book talks about this thing, you know, the as if phenomenon is, you know, acting as if you are this type of person. And there's actually research showing that if, you know, if you do it for sort of short bursts over an extended period of time, that you actually start incorporating some of those, those things you want to be into your personality and your, the way you talk and so on. Oh, absolutely. 100% through, through practice and repetition, you can become the type of professional uh, that you want to be. You know, it's just like, uh, I know much of our audience are, are people who work in sales. And, and a lot of times I'll work with, with sales reps who will say something like this. Well, I'm, I'm a lousy closer, or I just don't have what it takes, or, you know, I don't think I'll ever be good at closing. And, uh, and I always say to them, well, what if we really examine the root cause as to why you believe that? And what if we started attacking that? And then what if we started to essentially act like or pretend that you're a really good closer? Over the course of time, you're going to become a highly effective closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Because our, our brains are so powerful that we can literally turn ourselves into almost anything that we want to be. Right. Yeah, networking is no well, exception, Andy. Right. And in fact, we do in life anyway. So that's why I think that <laughs> it's not really that much of a odd phenomenon because this is sort of how we grow as individuals. Absolutely. Yeah. So we it's just, just applying decide. it to this particular instant. Yeah, we can just des- you can just decide to be outgoing. You can just decide to be networking um, uh, competent. You just then after you decide it, have to put in the uh, put in the the, the With time and effort. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's it's not going to happen overnight. It's not like you flip a switch. But that's why I said that as Jill I think talked about in her book is just you know you practice it in limited quantities and eventually it starts to stick. It's like any habit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so last point about networking before we go to the last segment of the show is, is you had some cautions in the book about virtual networking. I thought was sort of interesting about, cause this is, this is, uh, you know, this is an area of debate. We see a lot about how much of your personal stuff should you be sharing online mm-hmm. yeah. and the impact, the impact this can have on your personal branding in right. business. So you had some thoughts about that. Yeah. And when, when you think about uh, virtual networking, originally LinkedIn was all about business and, and careers um, Facebook was all about the personal and social stuff, and Twitter was kind of whatever you wanted to make it. And what's happened, though, the lines have become very, very blurred. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One of those reasons is that most of our listeners have gathered huge networks of so-called friends, right? And so, you know, it's it's pretty common these days to, to see someone uh, with a LinkedIn profile of 500 plus. In fact, if someone doesn't have 500 plus, sometimes you're almost taken aback by it. And and you see Facebook connections with, with 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 friends. And I don't know how anyone can have that many friends, but you can call them whatever you want. So, so, so the lines have been blurred. And I've always defaulted on the side of, 
of using social media primarily for professional reasons and a little bit of social. I use I use LinkedIn exclusively for for business reasons, professional reasons, and then Facebook I do a hybrid on that. And and so basically when I post something personal on Facebook, I deliberately post things on Facebook that are not, not only okay for my clients and prospective clients to see, I actually want to post things on Facebook that actually make me look good in front of my clients. So I, I do post pictures of my kids, but I'm going to strategically choose which pictures to put on there. <laughs> yeah, and the one so, standing in front of that new building you're trying to sell. Well, well yeah, or the, you know, I mean, I'll <laughs> put on the one in which they, uh, you know, got their hair combed or whatever the case may be, uh, or you know, at an interesting thing. Because I think you, as as a professional, as someone who sells, you always want to humanize yourself. Um, and, and you got to remember too that in many of our industries, not all, but in many of our industries, our personal connections can lead to um, you know, business connections through referrals or or personal people themselves. So, so I think that line has blurred, and it's okay that it blurred. Some people are uncomfortable with it. I think it's okay that it blurred, as long as you understand uh, what it is now, and as long as you are acutely aware. Um, that, that everything you post personally needs to pass through the filter of not only being acceptable to would-be clients and, and current clients, but actually makes you look good in front of those people. Yeah, well, again, it gets back to what we talked about before about having a plan. Is, is, is you know, I see this with people and they you know, consult with me about the personal brand and so on. It's, it's, yeah, to your point, people are seeing everything. Oh, yeah. So if you just don't care... Well, that's one thing. If you don't care what the impact is on on how people perceive you in the business world, hey, that's fine. You can do that. Or if if you know if you're Kim Kardashian, your business is your personal. That's one thing. But if you're like most of us, and the two are fairly separate, and you're you're trying to humanize yourself, yeah, you gotta gotta you have to have a plan. You know what yeah. what are you going to post and what's acceptable, and maybe what you would have posted when you're in college, you're not going to do now. And maybe you're going to open up a second account, a separate account or something, or close one and own a new one that and, uh, reflects where you're going to be professionally. Yeah, and, and for some people, they need to get a pseudonym account. <laughs> yeah. But I think ultimately, Andy, when we're talking about virtual networking, probably the most important advice I can give to people who, who sell for a living, or really any professional, is that the exact same fundamentals of networking apply uh, to virtual networking as in-person networking. And I'll tell you why I think this is important. Uh, remember back in 1999 when the dot-com thing was going crazy and there were all these companies selling crazy items and mm-hmm. they were actually getting venture capital because people thought the novelty of being able to buy something on your computer would, would make everything profitable. And, and the old joke was that's why there's no more pimentoloaf.com, uh, right. which I don't know if that ever ex- existed or not. But um, that all came crashing down because fundamentals of business eventually ruled the day. Well, in social media and, and other virtual networking platforms, you a lot of times see people doing things just because uh, of the channel or the medium. And, and I don't think that works. The, the same things that are interesting to you, if you and I are speaking face-to-face at a cocktail party, are the same things that will be interesting about me to you if you're following me on, on one of the social media. So, so people need to do that. They need to remember that Every rule applies in social media. You have to still do things that are interesting. You have to do things that further your personal brand as opposed to detract. Uh, you got to give a person reasons to follow you. If you go to a networking event and you are just the dullest, wettest blanket 
uh, at cocktail parties, eventually people will catch on to you and they'll stay on the other side of the room from you. Same mm-hmm. thing goes on social media. Okay. Jeff, last this is segment of the show, I've got some uh, standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, actually, sort of rapid-fire questions, you can give me one-word answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is, in your mind, is it easier to teach a technical non-salesperson how to sell or to teach a salesperson how to sell a technical product? Definitely the second one. I have a lot of experience with that. Um, I think anyone that knows how to sell, you can teach them the, the product details or bring them up to speed. It's harder to get a person who um, doesn't uh, sell or certainly doesn't enjoy selling to, uh, to get started. Okay. So um, I have to phrase this one carefully because people keep misunderstanding. So what's the one great literary book, meaning a non-business book, you would recommend that every salesperson read. <laughs> you mean like a novel? Yeah. <laughs> or gosh, I wouldn't even or, know or, where to begin. Or Shakespeare. I, anything you've read in your life that's had an impact? Well, um, and that's that's a hard one for me to answer because almost every uh, uh, book I've read for the last ten years has been a sales or leadership or management book. We got to um, get you out more, buddy. We got to get you out. I know. I, I'm one of those guys. I literally read a book every week, but I probably haven't read a novel in uh, uh, in years. I'm embarrassed to admit that. So can I take a pass on that one? All right. We'll take a pass. Put it on your list to do for 2017, though. Okay. Because I would want to, I'd want to, well, and I'd want to think back to, you know, the last several novels I did read, which are probably definitely more than five years ago and, and give you a right answer. So I okay. apologize for that one. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> All right, and we don't invite Jeff back to the show. Okay, no. So now the next one is, if you could change one thing about your business self, your business self, what would it be? You know, believe it or not, I sometimes have call reluctance. And, um, you know, I've been selling things for 30 years, but uh, mm-hmm. I sometimes, if, I'm, uh, if I have to call um, a person who uh, lives in the C-suite, I still sometimes get that tinge, and I sometimes will procrastinate. And so... Mm-hmm. Even the guy who preaches about uh, sales has to get better himself. Yeah. Well, I, gosh, I think that's probably universal. Um, all right, last one for you. Do you have a favorite quotation or words of wisdom you live by? Oh, I've got so many of them. But uh, there was one I, I read recently, and, and you'll laugh because uh, it's actually uh, a quote uh, on a poster in the bathroom wall at my office. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what the source doesn't matter. <laughs> Yeah, you see it every day. But uh, it's uh, a quote from Muhammad Ali. And uh, and I don't know it word for word, but he talks about uh, all of the preparation that goes into uh, uh, succeeding long before he, quote, dances under those lights, referring to uh, the actual boxing match. And, And I love it because it reminds me of closing sales. I mean, if you think about it, uh, when you go see a, a boxer, if you're a boxing fan, I can't mm-hmm. say that at a boxing match recently, but if I were to go to a boxing match and let's say let's say I was back in the '60s when Muhammad Ali was in his prime, and I watched Muhammad Ali and I saw him just destroy some other guy, I might think to myself, "Oh, he's the best. I, I wish I was like Muhammad Ali." But you don't think about the all of the uh, uh, investments that he made to get to that point. And and I like to use that as an example when I'm thinking about doing deals or, or closing sales and all that because. Um, people get so wrapped up in the end or maybe the glory that comes from succeeding, but really um, the end is a foregone conclusion for people who put in the work on the front end. And uh, that, that boxing quote applies to life and to business. Mm-hmm. We'll track down a quote from Muhammad Ali and, and uh, 
put it out there. Well, good. Well, Jeff, thanks again for joining me on the show. Is Tell people how they can find out more about you. Well, um, they can just go to my website, which is uh, jeffbeals.com, easy enough. And uh, certainly, I would be happy to connect with uh, any of the listeners on LinkedIn or Twitter. Okay. Yeah, and that's Jeff Beals, Beals spelled B-E-A-L-S. Yep, so, and plural. And plural, right. So, again, thanks for being on the show. And remember, friends, thank you for joining us today. And make it part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And one easy way to do that is take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, Accelerate. And that way you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Jeff Beals, who shared his expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. 